0: Welcome to OECD Podcasts, where policy meets people. Inequalities not only affect our lives, but also the lives of our children and generations after us. How can we ensure that our children have more opportunities than we have? That generations after us are rising in society and not limited by sticky floors. I'm Robin Allison Davis, and to help us understand social mobility, what it is, how it works, what governments and societies can do to help and what the OECD is doing. I'm joined today by Romina Barini, Director of the OECD Center on Well-being, Inclusion, Sustainability and Equal Opportunity, also known as WISE. Thanks for joining me today, Romina. Thank you so much.
1: It's great to be here. So, let's start broadly. What is social mobility? Social mobility refers to the extent to which people change their socioeconomic situation with respect to their parents. This is something that economists call as intergenerational mobility. We also look at whether people change within their own life and that's called intragenerational mobility. But in both cases essentially it's about looking at to what extent people do better over time. So that's also linked to the notion of equal opportunity, which is the extent to which people have chances to do well, regardless of the social economic background, uh, gender, sexual orientation, race, ethnicity, birthplace, or other factors that matter beyond their control. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the OECD, uh, what we know is that actually people perceive that there is a quite small chance to climb the social ladder. Uh, approximately 60% uh, of working-age individuals in OECD countries actually are afraid of being less financially secure than their parents. And almost the same proportion of people think that their children also is going to have uh, lower living standards than themselves. The majority of people believe that uh, the children that are put today are going to very likely to be poor adults tomorrow. Mm.
0: So you mentioned there are factors such as um, ethnicity and gender and things like that. What are the various factors that contribute to social mobility or the lack thereof?
1: There are very many. Uh, I mentioned parental resources. Of course, this is quite a key factor. For instance, if one father has twice the earnings of another father, the richest father's child would have 38% more earnings than the child of the poor father. Mm. But parental resources go beyond income. Education is also very highly linked across generation. Children born from parents with a tertiary degree are 45 percentage points more likely to graduate from university themselves, as compared to those whose parents had less than a secondary degree. When you have higher economic resources, you can also afford a better housing, live in a better neighborhood, have the possibility that your children take extracurricular activities. But there are also other opportunities. We know that rich people also have stronger social connections. Those stronger social connections and networks are going to be key to actually generate opportunities for the professional lives of their children in the future. And as I said, it's not just income. There are the many other factors that matter, such as gender, ethnicity, and the place where you live. So where you live is very important for the
0: trajectory of your children.
1: Absolutely. It is really key. And in some cases, you can actually decide where you want to live. And, you know, that's visible, of course. You can find a job, you can find a housing. But in some cases, people do not choose the place where they live. So is one of the biggest factors
0: really your parents and their decisions and life trajectory? Would you say that's the
1: biggest factor? That's definitely the biggest factor, absolutely. So the uh, family you're coming from and, of course, the level of income uh, that their family earns, but also, as I said, the broader opportunities, you know, the the education that your parents have, uh, uh, these are all really key fundamental aspects. Uh, and uh, also things such as the number of books that people have in their house, the various opportunities they're exposed when they're very, very small. So these are all fundamental uh, factors, again, that really play a big role uh, in social mobility. But of course, it's not just about the income. So it's just about economic well-being or the financial security, because those factors also intersect a lot with many other characteristics, such as rate and ethnicity. And the problem is that those factors really sort of compound in a very negative manner.
0: In European OECD countries, children growing up with very little socioeconomic advantage earn as much as 20% less when they're working as adults. So we see that social mobility can manifest throughout someone's life. It's not just as a child. Can you walk us through how social mobility affects
1: someone throughout the span of their life? There are three stages of life, so first of all, birth and childhood. So inequality starts at birth, in some cases even before. More wealthy parents can provide better opportunities, and actually wealth is much more unequally distributed than income. That is really a problem in many OECD countries. Uh, In the OECD, on average, the richest 10% of households own over half of the household wealth combined. The children from the very low socio economic standing also have fewer learning resources, but growing up, those learning divides persist on the OECD PISA test, that is the big uh, assessment program that we run in the OECD to understand and to map the competencies of kids. Only 6% of the most disadvantaged kids are the top performer, and that compares to 29% So you see the gap is really huge and very, very hard, obviously, to catch up over time. And then it's not just about young age, but it's also, of course, how the youth actually enter the labor market and possibility and prospects to do well in the labor markets. And so, uh, of course, social mobility very much depends on the type of job you get. And uh, those in low quality jobs obviously have also more limited chances to leave low paid or temporary work. But some of the bigger trends that we observe in the economy, things such as the digital economy, automation, but also the move to the green economy, we know that while the impacts of those transformations are going to be felt across the board, in reality, the effects are going to be concentrated and larger on the low-skilled jobs. As I mentioned, there are many, many factors, and it goes beyond also education, education, things such as, for instance, your gender. And uh, that's another area where, of course, the OECD has done extensive work. And I think it's quite sad to see that we are uh, improving very, very slowly, Uh look at statistics such as the number of women in managerial positions in OECD countries, uh, we know that this is 34%. So one individual in three, uh, that is uh, where the managerial position is a woman, and that's an improvement of only three percentage points from a decade ago. So I think we're very, very worried about that we are actually backtracking and uh, you know, not advancing fast enough as we should when it comes to gender uh, equality.
0: So with all this daunting data, is it possible for disadvantaged children born into these situations
1: to rise above, to move up
0: from the sticky floors?
1: It's true that when you look at the social mobility trends um, across time and, you know, for nations and countries, uh, the situation is pretty daunting. But it's very important to go beyond the average. Um, And in fact, it is very important to look at the differences across countries, in fact, social mobility is higher in some countries, uh, the Nordic European countries, Finland, Denmark, Norway, and Sweden, but also Canada. And it's not just about sort of the national picture, but also the subnational data. And we are now uh, generating, and we are able to look at the subnational data and uh, the place-based conditions that matters for social mobility. And we know that there are stark differences in social mobility trends between cities and regions, and sometimes those uh, uh, subnational differences overshadow cross-country comparisons. We know, for instance, uh, in the United States, there are places, local areas where floors are not that sticky. And these are the areas that are characterized by lower segregation, including in terms of race and ethnicity, lower income inequality, more inclusive social networks, stronger communities, better services for families and children, and better job opportunities. So that large differences across countries and areas really means that policies can be made to work and can be very uh, effective in terms of shaping uh, the factors that determine social mobility. And of course, uh, it also means that policies need to be tailored to the right context. And this is why this is very important, not just to look at, obviously, the international comparisons on social mobility, but also try to understand the very local sort of factors of success in terms of generating uh, strong patterns of social mobility.
0: You mentioned the national comparisons uh, for social mobility. Uh, what are some of the challenges of this? I know that measurement
1: measuring social mobility is one of the challenges. I would say that tremendous progress has been made on, on the topic. Fifteen years ago, we just didn't have any internationally comparable uh, data set that would allow us to look at the reality of social mobility across OECD countries. Now we have uh, those type of data, so we start understanding you know, some of the factors that shape social mobility over time. Uh, however, uh, measuring social mobility continues to be a technical of challenges because essentially you should be able to track, again, the progress being made by people and different generations over time and we don't have so many, um, you know, data set with those characteristics. So we have always to find sort of some other types of, uh, you know, methodologies or sort of proxies. Uh, and so that's obviously interesting. But there are many other blind spots. For instance, you know, most of the uh, social mobility studies that we've done in the OECD and that have been done elsewhere, just look at the correlation of earnings uh, between the father and the son's. So it means essentially that we simply don't know anything about, you know, the social mobility of women, of girls. And so that is definitely one of the future area of work for us in the OECD. We just want to obviously deepen uh, much more uh, sort of the understanding we have on the uh, of the gender nexus, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, of social mobility and really trying to understand, again, whether there are different type of factors that uh, matter for uh, driving uh, the evolution of economic well-being over time for girls. Uh, as opposed to that of boys.
0: In the 2018 OECD report, A Broken Social Elevator, How to Promote Social Mobility, it finds that educational disadvantage means not only smaller salaries, but also shorter lives. A 25-year-old university-educated man can expect to live almost eight years longer than his lower-educated peer on average across OECD countries. The difference is 4.6 years for women. So we're saying that it's not just about income inequality. What are other ways that social mobility can affect the course of our lives?
1: That's very important for us at the OECD because we don't just look at social mobility as an economic notion. We're looking at the various outcomes that matters in lives. And that, of course, uh, you know, includes economic well-being, but it also includes in very important outcomes such as health, uh, such as social connections. And the other, actually, possibilities and opportunities that people have to live a good life. For instance, we have evidence from the United States suggesting that more than one sixth individual from the poorest levels of income in the population are also uh, in the bottom quantile of health ed- status and education. So essentially, there is a strong correlation again between income and your health status and uh, the education. Social mobility has also a uh, wide societal cost, we have just completed a study that shows that in the European OECD countries, uh, childhood disadvantage uh, is costing countries the equivalent of a 4.1% of GDP annually. And that comes from the lost earnings, the lower employability, the worse health, the lower taxes, and higher social benefits that all come from the fact that you have a large portion of children living in poverty. And that actually doesn't uh, factor in uh, other societal costs in terms of social cohesion, lost productivity, and missing innovation. So if we were actually to consider those costs as well, uh, the value of uh, the lack of equal opportunities and low social mobility in all, in all city countries would be even, even broader and larger than that. So it's sounding a bit like a vicious cycle. What can policymakers do, and are they doing anything that is working? There are a lot you can do when you're a government, actually, to condition and really sort of play positively uh, into social mobility. We need to make sure that the access to lifelong learning and upskilling is really something that is uh, provided and maintained with a strong uh, sort of policy focus. And it's not just about education, upskilling and reskilling. It's also all the different type of policies that matter. Uh, So when you're very small, for instance, uh, most of the opportunities that you are given are conveyed and managed by the schools. But this is also what happens in your house, what happens in the community. We often talk about child well-being integrated strategies because this is not about providing subsidies and social assistance. This goes well beyond. There are many, many factors that matter and policies that matter.
0: The OECD is launching the Observatory on Social
1: Mobility in Equal Opportunity. Can you tell us a bit more about this and what the aim is? Over the years, uh, the OECD has provided uh, a lot uh, of evidence uh, on the limited extent of social mobility. This, as I said, was one of the emerging issues in the past 15 years uh, in the wake of the increase of income inequality that was observed in many OECD countries. And so a lot has already been done. However, uh, in the wake of the COVID-19 crisis, the current uncertain economic outlook, but also the ongoing mega trends, digital, uh, green, etc. there is a need uh, for fresh investigation. And this is why we're launching the Observatory on Social Mobility and Equal Opportunity. This is going to be a new initiative that is going to advance the data collection efforts to measure social mobility and equal opportunity, in particular with a focus on what happens at places and in local areas. We're going to actually pull together new innovative uh, data sets that allow us to understand the uh, dynamics of social mobility mobility in cities and in various uh, territories. We're going also, as I said, to address unexplored and uncharted territories, uh, the issues relating gender and social mobility, but also understanding better how wealth inequality uh, drives uh, low levels of social mobility in OECD countries. The other point in this observatory is going to continue investigating the role of policies, what are the most effective ones uh, to break down the barriers to equal opportunities and to be able to promote social mobility uh, from the very early years of life. And finally, uh, and that's also something quite new in our approach, we want to look at the role of civil society and the private sector in fostering equal opportunities. There is a lot governments can do and should do to promote social mobility and equal opportunities. But at the same time, of course, this is not just an agenda for governments. We know that what happens, for instance, in labor markets, but what happens in societies? So it's really interesting, I think, to look at what the civil society is doing, what it's going to do, again, to foster social mobility and, again, the private sector. There are a lot of things the private sector can do. I mean, we're talking about uh, diversity in the workplace, how very specifically the corporates can make sure that more opportunities are provided to specific groups, being women, being people with different sexual orientation of a different ethnicity, these are essentially the actors that can make the difference very directly. And so there is a big role for the private sector obviously in this agenda. And so the observatory is going also to act as a catalyst of the good practices that the private sector is putting forward to improve on social mobility and equal opportunities. Well,
0: thank you so much
1: for joining me today, Romina. Thank you so much, it was a pleasure.
0: To learn more about the OECD work on social mobility and to view the Observatory on Social Mobility and Equal Opportunity, go to oe.cd/social-mobility. To listen to other OECD podcasts, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and soundcloud.com/oecd.